We're going to be talking, of course, about the triumphant entry this morning. Our text happened during the week prior to Jesus' crucifixion, which is known as the triumphant entry of Jesus into Jerusalem. And at the beginning of the week, Jesus came riding in on a coat, which is a symbol of peace. He did not come in riding on a stallion. Anytime someone come riding in on a stallion, it means a symbol of war. But Jesus came in riding on a coat. His main emphasis was that he was there to bring peace. And the people spread palm branches and their garments upon the ground as he, for him to ride upon them. As like, it was like them laying out the red carpet for their king. They waved palm branches before him and they cried, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna. Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. And they cried that over and over and shouted it out loud all down that street on the way as you go into Jerusalem. Upon his arrival in Jerusalem, Jesus immediately goes into the temple. He looks around within the temple and it's getting late and he begins to go and leave to Bethany. And as he goes to Bethany, something unusual happens. He's traveling along and he looks over and he sees a fig tree. It had leaves and when a fig tree has leaves, it is saying it has figs. Because one of the things you got to know about fig trees is, is that the figs come on before the leaf does. So for it to have leaves, it was making a, a loud profession that it had fruit. It was having a testimony that it had fruit. So he goes over to get figs off of that tree and when he did, there was none there and Jesus curses it. He turns around with his disciples and just leaves. It is there that he, it is there that later he spends the night, he goes back into Jerusalem and it is there that he cast out the money changers and overthrew the seats of them that sold doves. I like this passage of scripture. Wouldn't you like to have been there that day as Jesus went into the temple and he cleaned house? You know, there, I think Jesus is doing that in the last days as well in a different kind of a way, but I believe he's cleaning his house. But he came back and he seen them, that, he seen the money changers and, and he overthrew them and them that sold the doves. And these were those that exploited the people by selling them flawed sacrifices and they made his house a house of merchandise instead of a house of prayer that it was supposed to be. They were all in it for the financial gain instead of the sacrifice, sacrificial observance of the law and the keepers of the feast days. The religious bunch, the scribes, the chief, and the, and the Pharisees had saw what he had done and they sought how that they might destroy him because they feared him. They were afraid because they seen that the people were astonished at his doctrine. Matter of fact, the Bible says that his doctrine filled all Jerusalem and they feared that Jesus would take over and become the leading king and that they would lose the religious authority. Many also were upset because they seen the hope of their prophets being diminished. Their lucrative financial gain was going to be threatened by this Jesus because of what he'd done when he drove the, the money changers out. And when the evening came, Jesus and his disciples left the city and it was then that Jesus gave them this object lesson. It's kind of strange that this kind of stuff is going on. Jesus is teaching them this whole week, not only in words but with object lessons and he's beginning to leave and he leaves the city and they see that tree that he had cursed and it was there that Peter looks at it and says hey there is the tree that you cursed 
earth and look at it. It's withered and it's died. And Jesus gives them this object. This is what he says to them. Have faith in God. For verily I say unto you that whosoever shall say unto this mountain, be thou removed and, and be thou cast into the sea and shall not die in his heart, but shall believe the things in which he saith shall come to pass. He shall have whatsoever he saith. Therefore I say unto you that what things soever you desire when you pray, believe that you receive them and that you shall have them. This is a very important statement that Jesus makes in his response to Peter as Peter recalls his attention to the tree because tree, he's amazed. One day it has leaves, one day it's green, one day it's alive, and the next day they go by and it's withered and it's dead. Just simply by Jesus' one word of command and that curse that he put upon it, that tree died. Then Jesus tells his disciples, you can also say to this mountain, be thou removed, and if you don't doubt in your heart, it shall be done. What I've done to this fig tree is what you can do with mountains. Jesus is teaching them how to exercise authority. He's teaching them godly dominion. He's teaching them of the power of the commanding prayer. Now, we know there are all kinds of different prayers in scriptures. There's supplication. There's intercessory. There's petitioning prayer. But this he is telling you about the power of commanding prayer. Jesus then, after spending the night outside the city, he takes his disciples back into the city again the very next day with him. He goes back into the temple, and he has a run-in with the chief priest and the scribes and the elders. And they ask him, by what authority did you do these things? Talking about driving out the money changers and turning over the seats of them that sold doves. What gave you the authority to do that? Jesus trips them up by asking them one simple question. He said, the baptism of John, was it from heaven or from men? He says, answer me. He says, which was it? And this made them fear because if they say that it was from heaven, then the people would say, then why did you not believe in him? If they say that it was from men, they feared because all men counted John to be indeed a prophet. So they answered Jesus and said, well, we can't tell you. We don't know. Jesus then says, neither do I tell you by what authority I do the things that I do. You know, Jesus just thinks that he can do what he wants to do. You know why? Because he thinks he's God. Can I have an amen to that? Jesus can do it. He don't have to give you a reason for the things he does in your life. He doesn't have to give a reason of the things that he does and what he does. He don't have to tell you why. And they were wanting to know why and who gave him the authority to do those things. Again, everything Jesus is teaching up to this point, both in words and in object lessons by his actions, is on divine authority. It's on divine power. Jesus then teaches the scribes, the chief, the priest, and the elders the parable of the vineyard. And after teaching them that parable, the Bible says that they sought to kill him because they knew that the parable was against them, but they feared the people. Now, Jesus is getting authoritative here. Jesus is having a heyday. He's doing a lot of things. He's cursing trees, and he's, uh, he's putting the scribes and the Pharisees in their proper place. Uh, he's uh, doing all these authoritative things. He's telling the disciples how to move mountains. Uh, and then they tried to trick him up again in his speech, the, the, the elders and the scribes, uh, asking him all kinds of tricky questions, trying to get the crowd uh, all riled up 
up. But Jesus passes each one of those tests and he ends up teaching them the air of their way in front of everybody. In other words, the more they tried to trick him up, the more he exposed them for who they were and he made them look like a laughing stock. Can I have an amen? And when the enemy comes in like a flood in your life, get ready, folks. God knows how to trick them up and make them look like the flood. You don't have to say a word. God will come to your honor. Can I have an amen? Then the latter part of the week came into play, which was one of the busiest, busiest weeks of Jesus' life. He washes the disciples' feet. He exhorts them to humility and charity. He foretold them of his betrayal. He comforts them. He gives them peace. He tells them of the coming comforter and the Holy Spirit and teaches on that. He tells them about his departure. He tells them of the union between Christ and his church. He's already been to Simon the leper's house and had the woman with the alabaster box pour that precious anointment upon him for his burial. He, he warns his disciples of their coming suffering. He's had the Passover with his disciples. He's forewarned Peter of his denial. All of these things Jesus done within that text. And then we see our text come into play. What we read to you today is where we are now up to in Jesus' life. Jesus then takes Peter, James, and John, and he goes to the Garden of Gethsemane. He tells them to sit, to watch, while I go a stone, throws, a stone throw away to pray. It is here where Jesus prays to the Father and he says, if there's any way possible, let this cup pass from me. He comes back to where Peter, James, and John is at, and I'm paraphrasing and going fast, and he finds them sleeping. And he asked them, could you not watch and pray with me just for one hour? It's all I've asked you to do. Here's Jesus fixing to pour his soul out and die for the sins of humanity on the cross, and all he asked for them to do is, hey, would you stand by me and help me pray this thing through? He then tells them, watch and pray that you enter into, not into temptation for the spirit is willing but the flesh is weak. He goes again, a stone throws away and he prays again. This is what he prays. Oh my father if this cup may not pass me except I drink it, thy will be done. He is still wrestling, he's still fighting, he's still warring in the flesh and he's sanctifying his self over to the father's will. Now if Jesus is agonizing in prayer to sanctify something and give it over to God, how much more should we have to do that. Jesus has already prayed one hour and did not, that one hour did not, was not sufficient. He's back in the second hour praying the same thing. He's still struggling. He doesn't want to die. He doesn't want to have to go through the suffering in his flesh. His flesh is crying out and he's trying to get the old man crucified to where his spirit man will obey God and he knows in order to do that there's suffering involved and that suffering is what's tempting him to say, I don't want it. How many of you would want that? How many of you would want to surrender to a crucifixion? How many of you would want to surrender to dying on a cruel cross, being beaten and whipped and spit upon like Jesus knew that he was fixing to? He comes back again after the second time he prayed. He finds them asleep again. And the Bible says he left them and went and prayed the third time saying the same words. And notice that it doesn't say that he asked them to pray again. But this time he just accepts the fact that he asked to 
bear this burden alone. And there's times that it seems like that no one understands what you're going through. And there's times it seems like you can't rally people around your side to help you to get through your dilemmas and your problems. There's time that the human element will fail you. But Jesus knew that he's going to have to do this alone and he's going to have to sanctify his will to the Father's will because he knew what the Father was commanding him. This time he prayed with such intensity that the blood vessels began to bust within his face and the Bible literally says that blood come through the pores of his skin. Now can you imagine when he came back to his disciples and what he must have looked like? His face being red, blood coming through the pores of his skin and they looked at him and thought what in the world has happened to him? But he says sleep on now, take your ease, behold the hours at hand and the son of man is betrayed in the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. Behold, he is at hand that does betray me. Now notice something. Notice that Jesus settled it in the garden. It was a done deal. It was over with. He sanctified his will to the Father. He's willing to go to the cross. He's willing to go there and die for the sins of humanity. Three times representing three hours of anguished, hard prayer, intercessory and supplication, Jesus finally sanctifies his will to the Father's will. All three times of prayer, he says, not my will be done, but thine be done. Here comes the one that was to betray him. Right after the hills of him say, rise, because he that is at hand that is to betray me. And it was Judas, the one who he had warned at the Passover. He said, the one that dips his hand with me in the dish is the same that's going to betray me. And Judas comes along with a great multitude with swords and staves and betrays him with a holy kiss. Because prior to the Passover, Jesus went to uh, Judas, excuse me, went to the chief priest and elders and made a deal with them. Judas said that he would deliver Jesus unto them for 30 pieces of silver and the way that he would reveal him so that he could remain undetected was that he would give a kiss upon the cheek of the one that was him. And he said, the one I kiss is him. And everybody calls it a holy kiss. There wasn't nothing holy about that kiss at all. It was total betrayal. Can I have an amen? It was denial. It was rejection of who Jesus was. Not knowing, but when Judas kissed Jesus, called him master, Judas didn't know it, but Jesus already knew that it was him that was the one betraying him. Listen to what Jesus said. As soon as he kissed him, he said, friend, why have you come? Bringing attention to the reason of him doing this. Could you imagine what was going on in the heart of Judas? He knew that the master knew at that time. And the reason they depended upon Judas to betray him was because they needed to catch Jesus alone in order to capture him. They couldn't have an audience. They couldn't have a big crowd. And verse two says, Judas knew the place where Jesus was, for Jesus oftentimes resorted there with his disciples to pray. So he knew where he was at. He knew there wasn't but Peter, James, and John with him. So it was a perfect time of denial, a setup. And when the enemy thinks it's a perfect time of denial, it's a perfect time of setup, God's always got an alternative plan. God's got a way of helping you in your dilemmas. Did you know that Judas didn't have to sell him out nor betray him? Because verse six says, when they ask him, are you Jesus of Nazareth? He said, I am he. He let them know who he was. 
They didn't need Judas to betray him with a kiss. All they needed to do is ask him and he would have told them who they, he was. However, there were times when Jesus disguised himself, like when he went up to the feast and his disciples didn't even know who he was. He was in disguise. There were times when Jesus withdrew himself from harm's way, like in John 7, 1. He would not walk in Judea because the Jews sought to kill him. But notice here, Jesus rises up. He says to Peter, James, and John, rise, let us be going. He is at hand that is out to betray me. This is a mystery. Why did not Jesus disguise himself? This, why did he disguise himself this time? And why, uh, uh, last time, but why did he not disguise himself this time? Why did he disguise himself earlier in the events of his life, but this time he reveals who he is? Upon him telling them who he was, the Bible says something very strange. Verse six, as soon as, they had, as, soon as he had said that unto them, I am he, they went backwards and they fell to the ground. And in everything significant that happened this week, I want you to really pay attention here. I want us to focus on these words, they went backward and fell to the ground. These people were what we call in Pentecostal terms, they were slain in the power of the Holy Spirit. They said, are you he? And he said, I am he. And boom, the power of God hit them and knocked them all down. They were knocked down by the power of the Holy Spirit. Then Jesus asked them, who seek ye? They answered him perhaps with a little bit of hesitancy. Well, well we're, we're seeking Jesus of Nazareth. He said, I told you that I'm he. If you therefore seek me, let these go their way. Talking about Peter, let them be dismissed. And this is when Peter wanted to prove his point, that he was willing to die for Jesus. And even though Jesus had told him, before the night is over, you're gonna deny me three times, Peter. Peter takes his sword, he cuts off the servant of the high priest right ear off. Jesus responds accordingly in Matthew 26, verse 52 through 53. I'll preach in a minute. Put up again thy sword in its place, for all they that take the sword shall perish with the sword. Thinkest thou that I cannot now pray to my father, and he shall presently give you more than 12 legions of angels. Here Peter is confused. Jesus all week has been talking about divine authority, the power that his followers and believers are to have. It's, he talked about the authority that you and I as a Christian can possess. They thought that he was going up to Jerusalem to overthrow the Roman government and free them from the rule over the people. He's already stood up to the religious bunch, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the elders, the scribes. He's done shut their mouths and put them in their place. And now he's saying, hey, man, he's taking care of the religious side of it. And now he's going up and he's going to take care of the Roman rule that is over us. We're going into a revolution. That's why Peter drawed his sword and said, I'm ready. Let's go fight. He was ready to do an earth and fleshly fight. And this is why they were crying the words, Hosanna, 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 the son of David. The word Hosanna means save us now. Notice also their last phrase of their outward, of their outward praise and worship to him. Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna uh, uh, to the son of David, Hosanna in the highest. Their focus is upon the might and the power and the, his ability to exercise strength. They're saying, you're Hosanna in the highest. They're looking at his power. These people looked at Jesus as being their king that was to lead a revolution. And they thought that he was going to set up his earthly kingdom and rule as king that very day. 
the very thing that the religious sect of Jesus' day and the political parties were worried about, a takeover, an overthrow, was the very thing that, that his disciples believed and possibly could be promoting and advocating that it was going to take place. Here's the religious bunch afraid. He's going to take over. He's going to rule. He's going to destroy our empire. He's going to destroy our churches. He, and he's going to take over because he's filled Jerusalem with his doctrine and he's done all these mighty things and people are flocking to him. There's going to be a revolution here. We've got to stop him. And the disciples were preaching that same thing. We know this because Peter ready to fight with a sword. He's ready to go to battle. He's ready to have a revolution. He's ready for it to begin. And they fully believed that Jesus, their Messiah, their King, would come and usher in a day of freedom and peace and prosperity for the nation of Israel. Let me stop right here. Just like we Christians thought that Donald Trump was going to do that for us as well. Donald Trump got in the office, there were so many positive things that began to happen that we thought, hey, we're fixing to have a, a takeover. We're fixing to have a revival. We're fixing to have a divine awakening. Come on. All of a sudden, it was no longer the Muslims on their knees, on a carpet with their shoes off, praying at the White House. It's the Protestants, it's the believers. Concerts going on all the time religious gospel concerts at the White House. For the first time in years, a president begins to reach out to the evangelicals and hundreds of them come and wrap around him and pray for him on a regular basis and counsel him. He literally moves the embassy to Israel. He starts doing all kinds of prophetic things in scriptures and we think, ah, we've arrived, we've arrived, we've arrived. But look what's happened. The very opposite of what we thought has happened. Can I have an amen? Now you know how the disciples felt that day. How many of you have been tricked and somewhat discouraged and somewhat confused at what happened when Trump was in president and he didn't get it the second time? How many, how, come on, raise your hand. You don't have to like him. You don't have to be on his side or nothing. I'm just saying, wasn't you a little bit confused? That's how the disciples were with Jesus. What in the world's taking place here? Come on. They fully believed that this Messiah was ready to go to war. But a sudden halt come to their notions when Jesus tells Peter, put up your sword, boy. And he reached down and he picked up the ear of the man that he cut the ear off of the high priest, and he stuck it back on. Boop. He healed him. I'm sure Peter's jaw dropped, his heart sunk, and he began to become confused. He could not wrap his mind around Jesus' actions. He's healing his enemies. The very ones that's taking him out is the ones he's lifting up. This don't make sense. I'm being honest with you. I've pastored for 37 years and I've never seen things not make sense like they are right now. I'm trying to make a parallel here that the things the disciples lived on that day that they had the triumphant entry into Jerusalem is the very place where the church is at right now. The parallels are there if you look at them close enough. 
This whole exchange was simply too upside down for the 11. Listen to what happens in Matthew 26 because of what just took place. Just that one event. Jesus says to the multitude, are you come out as against me as a thief with swords and staves to take me? He said, I sit daily with you teaching in the temple and you laid no hold on me. But all this was done that the scripture of the prophets might be fulfilled. He said, in other words, what you're doing is a fulfillment of prophecy. And then listen to the next verse. Then all the disciples forsook him and fled. Don't make sense. Here they are not understanding it of what's taking place. They're ready for a revolution. They're ready for Jesus to keep turning over money changers and taking whips and doing great exploits and he's ready and they're still looking for trees to be withered and they're looking for the flex of his muscles and he does it, does it, he caves in and it's like they looked at it and said, what's happened to him? He's lost heart to fight. What's happened to him? He's bowed, he's crumbled like everybody else does. What's happened? Our Messiah that we thought was king has become weak. And all 11 of them turns around and they walk away from him. Judas has done betrayed him. Now all 12 of the men that he picked for his ministry have left him and forsook him and they're gone. Oh, what in the world's taking place? And yet they heard Jesus say, what you're doing is a is a fulfillment of prophecy. Why couldn't they not understand the word of God? Because it did not fit their agenda and what they wanted. Even though the disciples had been with Jesus, they had heard his teachings, yet somehow they didn't fully grasp it or believe or comprehend everything that he taught them. It's evident. They should have by now known what was taking place at this hour because Listen to what Jesus told them in Matthew 16, 21. From that time forth began Jesus to show unto his disciples how that he must go into Jerusalem, how he must suffer many things of the elders and the chief priests and scribes, and how he should be killed and be raised again on the third day. He sat down and talked to them prior to this. Taught them and trained them and developed them. All that sounded good until it come the hour for it to happen. And then all of a sudden they didn't like the feel, they didn't like the challenge because he also said, when this happens, you disciples are fixing to go into a season of suffering yourself. Oh, God, help me preach right here. Peter should have especially known because Peter answered Jesus in verse 22, then Peter took him and began to rebuke him, saying, Be it forth from thee, Lord, this shall not be done unto thee, when Jesus told him to put his sword up. Peter was rash with his mouth and openly rebuked Jesus. Can you imagine the audacity of Peter to openly rebuke our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? He said, No, 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 Peter was rude. He was disrespectful. He was imprudent. No, this can't happen to you. Listen to what Jesus says to him. Get thee behind me, Satan. While ago you were walking with me, now you're, you're being controlled by Satan. 
You've allowed Satan to enter into your thinking, Peter, because you savor the things that'll be of men and not the things that'll be of God. You're not discerning your time, Peter. You had all this thing figured out and because it ain't going your way, all of a sudden you're wanting to rise up and be in opposition to me. Oh, how soon Peter forgot those words and the teachings of Jesus about how his hour was at hand. And all too often we see the same thing happen in the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is all too often that the Lord can warn his people of things to come. And when they happen, we stand in disbelief and cry and whine and want to gripe and that because iniquity abounds, then the love of many grows cold and all of a sudden there's a departure of the faith. I got to get away from my notes or we're going to be here all night. Can you not see where we're at in this last day? Right now, as I speak to you, in April, there's a possibility they're going to meet at, at Geneva. They're going to vote on whether or not we're going to give away our powers to one man that's going to make decisions over the nations when it comes to the health organization. That one man, when he received such power, America just lost her sovereignty. He'll call the shots of what is. What is a pandemic? Thank you, brother. You're ahead of me. Then he'll control what you do and what you don't do, what you can't do, and, and then he's going to determine what foods you eat, how much supply comes to each country. Come on. Everybody is not paying attention to what's taking place. And while we're fighting and feuding, this one world government is slowly being put into practice. And what's Christians doing right now? I can't believe what's taking place. And we're falling apart. And yet Jesus said it was going to happen. He told us it was going to happen. When you study the end times, you're going to find out there will be a one world government. There's going to come a time when you're going to have to take the seal of the Antichrist, 666, or you're not going to buy, you're not going to sell, you're not going to be able to eat. Come on. There's going to come a time that you surrender under the will of the Antichrist or you get your head cut off. It's going to happen. Because iniquity shall abound, the love of many is going to wax cold. People had such hopes that when Donald Trump was in there that this great revival was going to break out instantaneously and we were on the threshold of it. There were all kinds of prophecies of what was going to take place and how that they raised this Cyrus up. And all of a sudden, there was more attention and glorification given to Donald Trump than there was to Jesus Christ. The problem was, something happened. Whether 
as Satan stole the election or he lost, it don't matter. It went south on everybody's philosophy and everybody's thought and everybody's chain of command in their thinking. Now you got a bunch of Christians falling apart. Why? Because they're just like the disciples. We got to hear the word of God clearly. Is revival going to take place? Yes, I do believe. Is Donald Trump come back? I don't have no idea. But whether he does or whether he don't, my Lord, my help, my hope is in the Lord. And I keep my eyes upon Jesus Christ. If God wants to use Donald Trump to bless America, then I'm going to back him. I'm going to do everything I can for him. But ultimately, when it's all the smoke settles, if we win, it's because of Jesus and no other. Uh, I'm so far off my notes, but I can't help it. Listen to me. The disciples loved him when he's flexing muscle. They love him when he looks at a tree, be cursed. The next day it's dead, withered. They love it when he stands up to the scribes, the Pharisees and the Sadducees and he holds his ground and he pushes them back and he puts all through the New Testament, they're beating up on him with accusations and mocking him and, do it, and he opens not his mouth nor says a word. He's this humble, meek, gentle savior but he gets enough of it one day and he goes and he cleans house. He sets the religious order in place and here's the disciples, oh yeah, we're all, we got our momentum now. He's cursing trees and they're dying. He's putting the Sadducees and he's putting the scribes and the doctors of the law in their place. And then what's the next thing that he does? Oh, he's, he's, he's moving mountains. And, and then he's, he's just going from one extreme of exercising authority to another and to another and to another and to another. And they're thinking, ah, we're going into our kingdom. All of a sudden in one day, wham. It wasn't the way they thought. What happens when God doesn't move when you speak to your mountain? What happens when you curse something of your enemy and it don't wither the next day? What happens when you have high expectation and you do what Jesus tells you to do, but there seems to be nothing happen afterwards? Are you going to be like the leaven? Are you going to forsake him? Are you going to leave him? Or are you going to trust? I got a little phrase, if I can find it. I got to read to it because the Lord really gave it to me. Here the disciples, it says, resigned in the notion that he was truly a king and Messiah. He surely wasn't the son of God that he said he was going to be. And then I put down here through the anointing of the Holy Spirit in my notes, how often we forget the power of God in our past by the present delay or lack of it in our present. Everything that they had seen, everything that they had been taught, 
They invalidated it as being real and walked away from it because of their present delay and their present dilemma. And I can tell you that if God don't show up today, he's done enough in my past to keep me to have faith to see me through to my future. I can tell every single one of you that God has done so much in Kit Miller's life that if he never does another thing, and I know, I know that's not the case, but I know that if he never does another thing, that when they mock me because I pray to the mountains and they're not removed, I can say, that's okay. This one may have not been moved, but I can tell you about the 40 behind me that were. Come on. Oh, there may have been a time when, 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 uh, you know, I've wrestled during those times and I had to sanctify my will to the Father's will just like Jesus did. And I still have to do that now. Right now, as a pastor, I'm so confused because I'm believing for revival, been praying for it for years, praying for the fire to fall upon the heads of the people. I'm strung out. We're running like crazy. More sickness in the church than we've ever seen. Have more die than we've ever had die. And I prayed more than I've ever prayed and fasted more than I've ever fasted and sought the Lord hours and hours and hours. And there's times, well, Lord, this, none of this makes sense. But it doesn't matter. Just because my future seems to be held for its progressive anointing does not mean that the things of the past were not true and they invalidate me today to stand my ground and say it don't matter how long it's going to take. It may take the first hour. It may take a second hour. It may take a third hour. It may take a fourth hour. It may take a fifth hour. It may take a sixth hour. But I'm here to tell you, I want to tell you, it's, you may the night for a season, but joy coming in the morning. Hey! I seen a miracle last night. Those of you that don't know it, Dusty and Kathy Powell's grandson, DJ and Heather's son, was shot in the head last night by gun. Went plumb through the head, through the front lobe of the brain. Arrived at the hospital. They immediately put him on vent. Immediately flew him down to Elvis Presley Trauma Center, unloaded him. They called and said, man, we gotta have an update. Well, we're having to sedate him because he's trying to talk and he's trying to communicate to us. How in the world is that even possible? And then the doctor said, well, you know, this ain't as bad as what it may seem, but it's bad he's not out of the woods yet. They have to take his scalp off they got to cut the bone of his forehead off so to relieve for swelling. They got to watch out for infection. They got to watch out for bleeding because of the foreign substance going through the first part of the brain. He said, but where that bullet went and traveled, it doesn't mess up any of your communication or, or your work skills or anything like that. If there's ever going to be a place for a bullet to go, that's a place for it to go. And the boy's already improving 
and we're believing God for a total miracle. Don't tell me God ain't good. Don't tell me God ain't good. But what is it? What happens if we pray and it goes the opposite direction? Where's our faith going to be? What then? Are we going to start cussing like Peter did? People say, you were with him. No, it wasn't me. Yeah, you were with him. He's warming himself by the world's fire. And that little woman wouldn't leave him alone. Yeah, you were with him. I seen you. I'm telling you, it wasn't me. And finally he cusses. He takes the oath and he swears it wasn't me with him. He lost all confidence because things didn't go the way he dreamed it and planned it and boxed it and packaged it in his mind. What happens when the things that you got figured out in your head and God doesn't do it that way? And yet what you've got to understand is it was a far more greater thing for Christ to go to the cross than to start a revolution and live among them and bring peace to that society at that time. Because Jesus looked to the cross and looked for the joy that was set before him. He endured the cross, despised the same, and sat down at the right hand of the Father to make intercessory. Jesus doesn't try to pleasure you. He does the best thing for you. He ain't out to pleasure us. He's out to look out after our interests and do the best thing for us. And when something don't happen the way we want it to happen, don't blame God. God's doing a greater work in your life than what appears. Don't crumble. Don't fall. Because I, I got good news and I got some bad news. I feel like the Holy Spirit told me and said things are going to get worse before they get better. I'm not a doom and gloom preacher, but I know when the Spirit of the Lord speaks to me. The Spirit of the Lord spoke to me and said, America is not broke yet. They're not humbled yet. Come on. Things are going to get worse before they get better. Look at what Donald Trump's going through. Who in the world would have ever thought a sitting president would be arrested for the kind of, when the same guy that's bringing the charges won't bring any kind of, is letting murderers go, go, won't even charge them. What kind of an injustice is this? You say, well, it sounds like you're a Donald Trump man. It don't matter, I'm a justice man. Ain't going well with him. I got news for you. He's got a billion dollars. He can go golfing all day if he wants to and do nothing but golf that he likes to do. But he loves his country. And he's fighting for it. Let me ask you a question. Do you love your Lord? And are you willing to fight for it? Are you willing to suffer with him and drink the cup of suffering that you may also be glorified together with him? Are you ready to take it on the chin sometimes to say that didn't go my way? That didn't happen the way I wanted it to happen? That didn't happen the way I believed it? That wasn't happening the way I prayed for it to happen? 
Come on. There's a lot of things going on that don't make sense right now. Now, I could go back, and I don't want to stir emotions, but there's been people that have checked out on us that I thought, boy, their healing's going to bring revival, and it didn't happen. But my faith thing, I looked at Brooks this morning when he got up and missed he had battled that cancer for so long, believing for a miracle, and that man of God, ain't, he ain't walked away. He ain't charged God foolishly. What a man of God we have. And all the suffering and all the hardship and everything with it. Things didn't work out the way he wanted. He, yeah, he's human. He's cried. He's wept. He don't understand. There's been times of anger. There's been times of frustration, I'm sure. But yet he musters it up, brings every thought into captivity. The obedience of Christ gets up and musters up. But I still love the Lord. And I don't charge him foolish. And I know the better thing has happened. And I'm just trusting God in that which he's about to perform in me and my children's lives. Would you stand with me this morning? When I get around groups of people, including myself, there's a lot of whys. There's a lot I don't understand. There's a lot, man, what in the world's going on? It's no secret. We're growing like crazy in this church. We're getting people saved about every Sunday. We're in revival. We're not even recognizing it because when you get people saved about every Sunday, you're in revival. We got about 70 some women, I think, gone to our retreat today and we've been running. We're back up over COVID numbers. We had close to 700 last week. God's moving, God's touching, God's blessing, but right in the middle of it, there's nothing but chaos. There's war, there's dissension, there's hurt, there's pain, there's sorrow, there's grief, there's frustration. Right now we've got, you know, different things that's happening. We got Josh Reason's mother who's home, hospice is being called in, they think she will die any moment, Sister Reason's hard, hard, hard times. I went and I talked to Josh to make sure he's okay. He said, brother, I'm okay. And, and it, when he got done talking with me, he encouraged me. And I thought, Lord, that's what my message is about, is having the faith of a Joshua in the face and the dilemma of death. His faith is intact. Whether I live, I live in the Lord. Whether I die, I die in the Lord. Whether I live, therefore, I die, therefore, I'm the Lord's. For me to live is Christ, to die is gain. Come on, I fought a good fight. I've kept the faith. I've finished the course. Henceforth, there's later for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give unto me that day, but not only to me, but to all of them that love his appearing. Come on, somebody, help me preach. Oh, I feel an urge to just start quoting the New Testament. Why? Because my promises are in him, yea, yea, and amen. Can I have an amen? So be it, Lord, whatever your will is. So what it don't go the way that Kent Miller wants it to go? So what I'll cry a little bit, but, but I'll get around to sanctifying it at the will of the Father. I'm not leaving you. And before it ever even happened, a word of comfort and a word of prophecy come upon the lips of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Peter draws the sword, cuts the ear off, says, I won't deny you. They get, picks it up, puts it on, he gets 
frustrated. Man, Jesus is healing the enemy. He gets openly rebuked and called, get thee behind me, Satan, as if everybody's seen that. How would you like for you to do something to me as a pastor, look at you and point you out right here in front of everybody and say, get thee behind me, Satan? That's what Peter went through. Goes to the fire, following him before. You know, one thing I can say about Peter, the other 10, you don't even see them anywhere, but Peter said he followed a fool off. There was something pulling at him. <laughs> He's frustrated. He's upset. He ain't got it all together. But there's that spirit there just won't let go of him. And he's following from before off. He's like a Nicodemus that's being pulled, but he don't want everybody to see it. So he comes at night. And he's in the shadows and he's lurking. Jesus is not that far away because he's got to keep an eye on him. He can't totally run off and leave. He's got to, and then when he's exposed, he cusses, he curses, he takes an oath. But prior to that, Jesus said, hey, buddy, you're going to fail tonight. And when you hear the cock crow, you're going to know you goofed up. But when you're converted, strengthen the brother, you're going to have a comeback. You're going to have a comeback, Peter. And when Peter comes back, he comes back with a holy boldness. Woo! And I love that passage right there that we just read about how all the leaven forsook him and fled. But on the day of Pentecost, Peter stood up with the leaven. These are not drunk as you suppose. But these, this is that which the prophet Joe spoke about. That in the last days, saith God, I'll pour out my spirit upon all flesh. Your sons and daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men dream dreams. And upon my handmaids and upon my servant, I'll pour my spirit. He said, you with wicked hands have crucified the king of glory. And he begins to prophesy. And the leaven stood up with him. So I want to give you an encouragement today. Some of you have struggled. You had great faith and something didn't go as what you planned. What really hurt, it went sour for you, but your friend right beside you got deliverance. Don't make sense. The guy across the aisle, he received a greater blessing, but you got nothing. And you're struggling. You've made some moves towards the shadows. You're not as hyped up as you were about Jesus. You're already losing momentum. You've lost the fervency, the fire, the zeal, the gleam in your eye. Your first love is beginning to dim a little bit and you're beginning to withdraw and you're beginning to draw back on him. Come on, somebody. And there's others that's completely said, I've had, I've tried this, it don't work. And you've turned your back on the Lord and you started to walk away from him. Well, I want to tell you, you may be like Peter in his first few, day, few moments there where he walked in the shadows. Or you may be like Peter in full denial. But God is quick to forgive and he's full of mercy. And you got to learn how to trust the greatest power that was ever presented on earth was not Acts 10.38 in Jesus' ministry, how God anointed Jesus Christ of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power who went around doing good and healing all those oppressed of the devil for God was with him. 
Jesus cast out devils. He healed the blind. He made the lame to walk. He made the blind to see. He raised people from the dead. Come on, healed lepers. Man, as long as they were doing that, them disciples, woo, woo, woo. Look, man, the inner circle got to be with him when he done all that stuff. But when that ceased, just like when the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000, it says, when the food ran out and the miracle ceased, they all forsook him and fled. One minute he's got 5,000 in his church, and the next day he don't have any. Biggest church split in the world happened with Jesus. Because they were in it for the multitudes and the fishes. And when the multitudes and the fishes were gone, the bread and the fishes, they were gone. Come on. But the greatest power on display was not his ability to yield to the power of God, but his greatest power was to reveal to the submission of God. Not my will be done. To have self-denial. To say no to his flesh so that the better purpose can happen. You and I are saved today because of the three hours of prayer that Jesus spent in the garden of Gethsemane. You and I are saved today, not today, not because he had power to go around healing, but he had power to lay down his life. He had power to say no to himself. Don't you know? Now, guys, I'm a human being. And there's sometimes them old politicians get on the television, they get in front of that, I want to pop them in the mouth so hard. Oh, come on, you sacrilegious. Sitting there lying, and man, you just, the, the deceit, the, the, you know, the seducing of them demons, it's worth, you see it happening. And you think, oh, I'd like to just shut that man up. I prayed some carnal prayers before. Wipe them out, God. Boom. And yet God loves them. And he's got a plan. When he gets enough, he knows how to take care of it. I just got to follow the plan of God for my life. and his, I got to follow the plan of God for his will upon the earth as well. That's the power of submission. With every eye closed and every head head bowed today if you're having a tough time in your Christian experience you got all psyched up and everything was going good and it was joyful and you couldn't praise his name enough and you couldn't shout him enough but man you've hit you've hit a plateau man you've, you've gotten in a valley and that valley's low and you're having a rough old time and you're, you're struggling just like to let all of them, they've done the same thing. I want to invite you to come and we're going to pray for you. Is there anybody here in a valley? Oh, so low. Fighting, struggling, dog paddling to keep your head above water. Yes. Here's Jay coming. He lost his father in death this weekend.
God. God loves you. Maybe you never served God. God loves you. He's got a plan. If you'll come and humbly yield and submit your life to Him, won't always be a bed of roses. But I promise you this: it's got the promise of eternal life. It's got the promise of a blessed life. It's got the promise of an abundant life. I want you to come in Jesus' name. Is there any others? We're gonna we're gonna let these people pray, and we're gonna dismiss you in a minute. I I just feel like there's somebody here that's really. Boy, you're really grasping at straws. You're just barely hanging on. You're struggling. Is there anybody else? Thank you. Yeah, there's another one. God loves you, man. When you don't understand what you're going through, He does, He knows. Is there any others? I'm going to ask the prayer warriors to gather around. These just come to pray. Let me have a good gathering. Those of you who want to remain and pray, you're more than welcome. We're going to dismiss you that's not. We just ask you to leave quietly and reverently as we pray with these that have came. We're going to let them pray as long as they like, and we're going to be here with them. May the Lord bless you. God bless.